0: Is stealing in as relapse comes up of the din.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 342 of the Thinking Poker Podcast. My name is Sean Lango. I've been your audio engineer for this podcast for a number of episodes. Uh, and I am here today with Andrew Brokus and Nate Mavis in their respective towns.
2: Well, yeah, tell oh, us, Mark, tell us your
1: town at least.
2: Oh, right. How, how many times have you heard this intro? <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, I was uh, I was forgetting that that little detail. I am no longer in New Jersey. I am now in uh, Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. And uh, where are you guys these days?
2: I'm in Snowy Owings Mills, Maryland.
1: Ah, <laughs> yes,
3: Snowy, Melrose, Massachusetts.
1: Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm i've gotten reports from my family in new jersey about the snow that has been hitting there so you guys are kind of you know uh the the bread that sandwiches new jersey geographically speaking and it makes (laughs) sense that that is the trajectory of the snowstorm
3: yeah
2: well I, i will say as a um you know, a person who works from home, there are a few feelings better than like seeing the mess of the roads like in the middle of a snowstorm and you know, people having to dig out their cars and that kind of stuff. And I don't mean to say that I don't have sympathy for those people, quite the opposite, um, but I also feel immense gratitude of not having to do those things. And um, it, is, it is a very nice feeling to sort of be inside and warm and knowing that you don't need to be anywhere while – because, I mean, it's otherwise beautiful, but I know that it is a significant headache for a lot of people.
1: Yes. Yeah. I don't miss it seeing it from afar. I I miss it in a sense, but like the last uh, about 10 years in, in New Jersey, I was living in a town that was, you know, basically sandwiched between Newark and Jersey City and was dense and there was nowhere to put the snow they would like truck it away because that was how desperate the situation got when the (laughs) snowstorms were serious so yeah i'm not missing that labor or uh just like the dread of having to go dig your car out or any of that
2: so what are you doing if you're not shoveling snow? What's, uh, I, 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 you know, I meant to say also, when you mentioned Hollywood, California, I'll thank you on air. I think I mentioned this on air uh, around the time when it happened, but uh, I actually had the privilege of staying in your apartment in Hollywood, California for a few days while I was visiting LA and uh, playing at the, at the Commerce. So thank you for that. And I hope that uh, it's continuing to serve you well.
1: Yeah, truly my pleasure. I believe I was, I don't know if I was in America or in Europe on tour, but I remember. Yeah, I knew that it was, it was at a time where I wasn't going to be here. And, uh, oh, wait, you know what? I know it had to be America just because if I had this apartment yet, that I got this apartment after the Europe tour. So uh, regardless, I was very excited. And you were not the only friend who was able to take me up on just, uh, you know making use of this space that I wasn't making use of. So uh very glad that that worked out and that you were able to live the KnitCast life and cancel your hotel reservations. And <laughs> <laughs> that, that gave me great pleasure too.
2: The hotel reservations, of course, were also being bought with a friend's comps that I was buying at less than face value. So it was, it was hashtag KnitCast either way. But um, Good. yeah, I mean, Good. It, was, it was a neat neighborhood. It was nice to be able to uh, to spend a little time there.
1: Yeah, it's been nice, like, I mean, as far as, uh, as far as pandemic life goes, it's a pretty good situation, because it's not like I'm in a big building with, like, an entryway and elevators shared by lots of people breathing, you know, potentially contaminated air droplets and things like that, so it's, uh, you know, not not a super dense neighborhood and easy to just, like, take a walk if you want to take a walk and get outside a little bit and yeah I'm, I'm glad to be here
2: so this may be something that you don't want to discuss on air in which case we have uh you know an audio engineer who can take these take these things out but um Fabulous. you know you have uh, a condition that right that puts your it's it's the drugs that you're taking actually that that uh like immunosuppressants is that the situation
1: yeah yeah that's right i've i've been on um the specific medicine i'm on is a biologic called humira which you've probably seen advertised i was gonna say seen i've before, seen many a humira commercial yeah yeah it's it's got a lot of different um applications for different conditions and uh i've been on it for eight years and um you know mostly haven't had any problem the biggest problem i have is just like (laughs) american health insurance making it really difficult for me to get the medicine sometimes but uh you know the uh the downside as you pointed out is that it's an immunosuppressant Mm -hmm. and uh depending on who you ask that could actually potentially be a Good thing I've heard like if you get COVID, having the immunosuppressant might actually mean that your body doesn't like go crazy. But I'm not really looking to find out if it's good or bad. I'm (laughs) just trying to not get COVID and stay home a lot.
2: So you have not been uh, going to the commerce?
1: No, I, well, it's mostly been closed. Like they closed. maybe like march 15th or so Uh, i i stopped going like um roughly a week before they closed uh and got my money out and then a couple days later and it was funny I, i went back to the cage to get my money and i actually made two trips um just because i wasn't realizing just how shut down things might get the first time so i took like a little bit of money and then i went back for the rest and uh, both times I visited the cage, the workers there were like, "Oh no, we have no plans of shutting down. No, no plans whatsoever." And within like 24 hours of the second visit, they were like, "We're going to be closing indefinitely." And <laughs> so are all the other casinos in Los Angeles County and all that kind of thing. So yeah, they've they've reopened once or twice, but I have made zero trips back just because uh, all of the reasons that you guys have you know, mentioned on the show, uh, that make it seem like a bad deal.
2: Yeah. i I was actually quoted in the Washington post saying, and talking about how much it takes to, um, to shut down a casino or how, you know, the only time I've, I've, uh, had heard of a casino being shut down prior to this was when it was literally on fire. Um, and then like within days, you know, all the casinos in Maryland had shut down.
1: Wow. Yeah. So what did they, what did they,
2: uh, quote you? What was the, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but it, it, you know, it was just like, they're like, I, so I, I had like done a previous, apparently the way this works um, is, you know, they're not necessarily looking for the person who's like most expert on a subject as much as like the person who will return a call. <laughs>
0: okay, uh, so, sense. you know,
2: I, I had, um, I, they'd spoken to me about the um, Mike Postle situation a while back. And then I think that same report, like I think someone was like, Hey, does anybody know a poker player? And like, I was like, I know a poker player. And then, so like a different journalist who was working on the casino <laughs> stuff was just like, Hey, let's ask this Andrew guy. And I was like, I mean, I'll talk to you guys if you want. I've like already stopped going to casinos. So I haven't like been following it that closely. And they were like, okay, but you'll talk to us, right? Like I, every time that I've like had a journalist contact me and I've tried to say like, I don't really know that much about it, but they're always like, okay but you'll you know like they're they're just trying to get their job done like anybody else makes sense yeah yeah um i meant to ask you also too i mean i know a lot of people will know this because uh they've listened to previous episodes or they've read our, our faq but uh what is it that you were doing you know touring around europe and the united states
1: Oh, so um, yeah. So for for those of you uh, who didn't listen to episode forty something that I was on originally, and uh, you know, I've, I've
2: you've in at few least s- one other one.
1: No, there's been actually. It's it's been I lost count, which is how many times I've been on the show. But I was on with like you and Carlos once, and then one or two other times here and there, just sprinkled in. Um, okay. Uh, i've I've been able to make an appearance, but yeah to give a brief introduction i uh I'm a musician primarily that's kind of like you know I went to school to study music and uh my training so to speak was actually in jazz and uh it's still a love of mine but not something that I spend quite as much time doing especially from a performance uh perspective um yeah so and then after college and jazz and all that uh, I continued as I have my whole life playing a bunch of you know rock music of various types um, and uh, garage rock Southern California um, all-star Mike Kroll was a friend of a friend of a friend growing up and I uh, fell into the good fortune of playing with him on one of his first, uh tours after he signed to merge records. And, you know, we got to know each other as uh, you know touring bandmates and then from there just, you know, formed a friendship and I got to play on uh his next record after that where um guitar is my primary instrument but I was actually playing bass on that mostly and uh then, yeah, for that for that more recent record during twenty nineteen, which was uh the year I moved out here, um, a few of those months of that year, I wasn't actually living here at all because we had just you know a good number of tour dates to support that album uh, release, and uh. Two of those months were in the U.S., separated out, you know, uh, one earlier in the year and one later. And then uh, one of those months was in Europe, which was nice because I had played some shows with him in Europe in the past, but it was kind of like a, you know, week and a half short stint. And this was like we saw many more countries and got to see some new places and check some new things out. So that was uh, that was exciting. I I hadn't done any like you know extensive uh performing out there before so it was nice to have that opportunity
2: yeah it's funny from um being in your being in your apartment it's it's i mean it's nice it's not terribly large and the one you know big room that there is was just like totally dominated by uh, like <laughs> guitars and amps and like other uh, <laughs> other equipment but it was neat like no i was like this is where the magic happens uh this 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 is where the podcast gets edited uh it was it was, it was kind of surreal to be like standing on that end of it like i felt like i'd stepped through the computer into uh you know like the, the back end of the show
1: yeah no it is it's like uh it's definitely you, you accumulate a lot of stuff when you spend a lot of time doing music and then you're right it does just kind of dominate the environment and uh, it, would, it would be enough to fill up like a small studio but instead it fills up the living room of my apartment <laughs> which is, you know, works,
2: it works uh, So what have you been doing poker? Are you, are you playing online? Has poker just taken a, a backseat?
1: Yeah, so um, if I back up slightly, um, poker took briefly sort of a front seat um, during the times I wasn't touring, uh, and I was in Los Angeles, it was sort of like, oh, look, the Commerce Casino is a cool place to play some poker. And I just basically, when I wasn't on tour, um, for the first time ever, was being like a regular, um, participant in that live room, you know, compared to the past where if I was playing poker live, it was usually like I was going down to the Borgata for a night or two, um, and just playing while I was there. Or, you know, occasionally if there was like a tournament, um, series going on there, I might make a little bit of a longer trip, um, for that, So I was playing quite a bit at the commerce uh, leading up to the shutdown. And then uh, since the shutdown, I've kind of gone through two main phases. The first main phase was like me playing a bunch of um, a combination of U.S. facing sites, uh, some ignition and some global poker, um, which was new to me. And then playing some on uh, the Poker Bros app. Uh, There were a couple, some people that I knew from commerce had, you know, access to some of the clubs and stuff like that. So through them, I was able to uh, get involved in that world. And, um, you know, so poker, it was was interesting kind of like being at the commerce all the time. You know, I had never been in a card room kind of day in and day out and seeing the same people all the time. And my previous, um I guess, like casino experience at the places on the East Coast, I would just kind of like mostly keep to myself and chat if I was being chatted to and whatever. And if I was playing in like a casual home game, I was much more, like, uh, I don't know, outgoing or, you know, conversational. Um, And when I first kind of was playing at the commerce, I was just kind of in that mode of just like keeping to myself. And then I kind of realized after a while, I was like, oh, you know, it's a little weird. Like you're seeing these people every day, like maybe making a little bit of an effort to, um, you know, just be friendlier and and, and just uh, try to, you know, get to know some people and, and, and it was cool because, you know, there were just friendly people. And then there were, um, you know, a few people who I became a little bit, you know, closer with as, as like poker friends, which uh, that was a new experience to me. So, so yeah, LA has been cool for poker. Um, after playing on the apps during COVID, I, I basically stopped playing for a while just cause I didn't love the combination of uh, downswinging and, quarantining and just like general the world sucks like it just I don't know you, you could imagine that many people might not like that and I was in that category Um, so that brings us to the present which is I play a little bit on those apps and I basically the only poker I've been playing consistently lately has just been A handful of like home games which are mostly just with friends for fairly low stakes um but it's been a lot of fun and uh just like a good place to kind of get the enjoyment of poker back get some confidence back that like if you do these things that you know are good then you're gonna just win the chips eventually so uh yeah my my recent poker playing has yeah been pretty much just a, a handful of home games each week and and uh that's you know it's good i i think like when when the world reopens i'll be excited to like get back into things at commerce but for now this is kind of like a good good way for me to spend my poker time at this moment
3: So you're in two worlds about which people wonder whether they'll ever come back the way they were. People wonder whether live poker will ever be the same, whether people will feel, you know, disgusting being, you know, so close to poker players who aren't always hygienic. And I also was recently listening to music world people saying that like live music depends so much on physical intimacy that like, They're just not sure whether that will ever be the same. That like, you know, like, like, like distance music consumption. That's just not a thing. Um, Do you worry? Like you're talking about when the world comes back, but in the case of poker and in the case of music, to what degree do you think the, the atmospheres you're used to are gone forever?
1: I mean, I, I definitely think that they are gone for like, the immediate and sort of foreseeable future um, for the reasons that you mentioned you know it is a very you you know you share your space with people quite closely and even if it's like a seated classical music event you are right next to the people the same way you would be on like an airplane or something um or at a poker table um that said, I mean, I don't know. I I know people who have just uh, gotten the first round of COVID vaccines because they're healthcare professionals. Like, it seems like I can also just imagine, you know, given time, that we will get to a place where just breathing other people's air is just the thing we do again and don't really think twice about. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine that the old version of, uh, you know, a show that I played with like Mike Kroll, for example, uh, is just like, I don't see that never happening again. I I think it's coming at some point, but it is not here now. Uh, what is here now is very different. And I'm sure like in some ways there'll be lasting effects on, you know, the poker world and the music world. But I don't think it's going to come in the form of like, we will never see um, 8,000 people go to Vegas to play the main event again or, you know, some big show with everyone just like crammed together in front of a stage or something like that. Uh, I think it's, I think that's bound to return. Um, But I don't know. You guys are smart guys. Do
3: you think I'm wrong about that? I think things change. I I don't know. That's my my honest answer is I don't know. I'm also wondering whether baseball is just kind of gone forever. Like I I just mm. it, it sort of feels like something just kind of slipped away there and nobody cares anymore. Like but but I don't know. Um, gone. Yeah. I mean, as like a culturally central thing. I um, see.
1: So you're not worried that like people won't be allowed to be close together someday. You're worried that like maybe people won't want to be close together at poker rooms or or shows anymore because it's just kind of like past its prime
3: or something? Some combination of that. Like, either people's instincts change, and, I mean, I, I'm speaking as a germaphobe, and, like, if everybody were as hesitant, like, well before COVID, I was hesitant to get in, in other people's space. And, uh... <laughs> You know, some combination of X percent of musicians having to get other jobs because of COVID and people's just dispositions changing. And, you know, like the marginal person, the person who would barely rather go see a string quartet than go see a movie um, now or, or stay home and watch a movie, you know, just like that marginal person. Mm -hmm. just has a disposition where the string quartet is just a little bit less appealing because it involves like, like intimacy. It's not just that, it's not just that, you know, as a matter of, of contingent accident, you have to be near another person to see it. It's like, that's part of the magic of it. Right. Um, you know, like one analogy is, Sports that were associated with gambling, you know, like as gambling gets more and less popular those sports also get more or less popular even if The people aren't gambling on it It's just sort of like a part of the culture of the thing and a part of how you experience it and as the comfort with that element of it goes up and down The popularity of the thing goes up and down Hmm um and i just i just wonder like if there if there are just fewer people in the world um who who want to go see jazz shows like it's like i don't know like, like well a, i mean jazz. no one wants
1: to go see jazz shows any day of the week time with oh, yeah. pandemic or not yeah 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 <laughs> as, it's just like as, as a former jazz studies major i can tell you the market yeah. is
3: tiny <laughs> yeah 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 it's just, like when i think of live music i think of like the old TT the Bears in Somerville, which I think is close now, but like it's like, oh, like let's go get in a cramped basement. Like that's the thing. It's gonna be this special thing and you're gonna be in a box with a hundred people sharing this special experience. And I just wonder if like people just don't want to. Like a year's a long time to go around thinking every day that being in a box with a hundred people is is a bad idea. <laughs> and you know. Uh,
1: I think you're right when it comes to those like marginal cases where someone was already like uh sort of indifferent between going or not going that like like if they're if they're kind of like gonna continue or fold like and they've been folding for a year, maybe they just keep folding for life. Yeah. Um but I think that the the like you have to kinda of wanna to go to the shoebox. To go there in the first place, and a lot of people really love the shoebox and miss it, and and can't wait to get back to the shoebox.
3: I had magical times in shoeboxes, you know. Like it's yeah. yeah.
1: There, there's a reason, you know. They're they're good places. I think. Yeah, I I feel like that side of things. Um. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, just how much it suffers, uh, but, and and my, like, everything that I see in terms of social media is, like, hugely colored by the fact that I'm friends with a lot of musicians and people that like music and stuff, so, you know, I could be off base uh, because of that, but I don't know, it just seems like people can't wait. <laughs> they want that
2: back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would say live music is probably one of the things that I most miss. And I didn't even, I mean, I maybe went to like two or three shows a year. It's not like I was some huge live music buff, but you know, I did not really a person who does a lot of things period. Um, so, I mean, it is one of the things that I've sort of noticed the most uh, lack of.
1: Yeah. It's, it's something that like, I feel like I took for granted and now that it's like not something that's easy to do it's like oh man uh or or I guess like uh if I was in a different city like New Orleans or New York or some place where like people are just setting up outside and playing and it's a city that's a little bit more conducive to like foot traffic and doing that kind of thing um like I miss that like I'm bummed that that's not something that I could just like you know, walk down the street and check out some live
3: music, even during COVID. I I should also say music has arguably been a bigger part of my life during COVID. Like, I was thinking about people whose, like, my opinion of whom has gone up and down during COVID. Mm-hmm. And And among the people for whom my opinion has gone up, I may have said this on the show before, is, like, Brahms. Turns out Brahms is amazing. And, like, music is just a big part of my life. And maybe it always was, but, you know really big now so yeah uh, arguably there's there's i don't know maybe i'm not the only one maybe i'm not the only one i i I have a question about being a jazz studies major um i once heard the phrase handpiece and i googled it and most of the hits were for um like syllabi or or at least some of them were did you ever have to study handpieces can you do handpieces
1: uh i'm gonna have to Google that or ask you what it means. I don't think I've so ever I, heard that
3: term. <laughs> I, I heard about it in in the Ken Burns Jazz documentary. Oh, okay, it, was about, sure. it was about how good Jimmy Lunsford's, uh band was. And like, like maybe they weren't the very, very, very best musicians, but they were always well-dressed and well-choreographed and they had really good handpieces. And I think that's a phrase that just means like when you shake your hands around in a, in an amusing way while you're singing, like, like it's, it's just the stuff you do with your hands when you're, yeah. it's like, the, are, are you really good at doing entertaining stuff with your hands? Like, 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 <laughs> like, if you, if you, like in how many different ways can you, you know, sort of shake your hands in an entertaining way while, while, while singing?
1: <laughs> well, I will say I, um, I sing about, uh, Uh, My the extent of my singing is usually just around myself and only myself. Um, I I studied guitar in the jazz studies department at at my university of choice. So I can't speak to hand pieces because my hands were busy touching guitar strings. Um, Maybe that's entertaining to look at, though. So I don't know.
3: All right. And it's not the case that like you had to you know get a it's not like you had to do rotations as like a singer and a drummer and, and other things like just a, that, that's not part of the training.
1: Um, part of part of the training generally for for classical or jazz, um, and this was true in my program was uh, piano which was actually like my first instrument was piano so it was kind of like i stopped playing piano in middle school because i was like oh piano not cool and guitar is cool and then like you know uh in college i had to play piano again and i was like oh i like this this is like i missed this my hands are starting to remember things they knew like A long long time ago and uh, so I did have that experience where you had to kind of like do your rotation um, being a competent and functional pianist Uh, but outside of that my school didn't really require anything Um, like you had to sing in your training classes you had to develop your ear and all that kind of stuff and I think like I feel personally like everyone should be a drummer too. Like I I started I played drums before I started guitar and um even though it hasn't been a thing that I've like pursued as like a professional so to speak and it's not something I've like continued practicing in my adult life. It's uh I'm like I'm a functional drummer. Uh, the 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 record I made um, that had some plugs on this very podcast uh, uh, that I made a couple years ago um, with uh, my friend Gina, the Soft Center record. All the drums on that is, are me. So I'm I'm that functional on drums. But you know um, I wouldn't I wouldn't go around like calling myself a drummer to like other musicians <laughs> if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. Well. Good, good for you, being being functional.
1: Yeah, functional. It's good, and and I mean, like truly, like the most fun you could have, pretty much as a living human, is playing the drums. It's like it's the best instrument, pretty
2: much. So, I highly recommend it to all listeners. Why do you say it's the best? Like because of the the kind of like tangible experience of it? Yeah, I mean, I
1: I think I just love the drums like from both the like it's enjoyable from the tangible side like you're saying and like um it's it's very physical and satisfying in those respects um but i also just like enjoy drummers like when i'm listening to music i will often you know uh i'm much more liable to be highly aware of what's happening in the drums than like what's happening in the lyrics and that's maybe atypical for some music listeners um but yeah it's just fun to sit down and mess around and once you can kind of play a little bit you can just sit there for a long time and and really enjoy yourself
2: Have you done any, I mean, since we were talking about the live venues being shut down, have you, uh, either as a performer or as a a spectator, have you consumed any, you know, like Zoom shows or that kind of thing?
1: Uh, Yeah, a little bit of both consuming and a little bit of uh, performing. Um, The only like official like tickets were sold uh, live stream show that I did was uh, around Halloween. Uh, with, uh, once again, with Mike Kroll, I did a show with him, and uh, we we kind of put together a small band, and it was actually, it was pretty fun, we, we kind of had Halloween costumes, there was like a small, funny plot to it that involved us, like, going into this creepy guy's house, where he uh, drugged us, and then forced us to play the songs for him, so that he could learn them, and take over being Mike Kroll, uh, so, so yeah, that spoiler alert, it, it ends with all of us dying and this guy taking over, uh, as Mike Kroll, (laughs) and, uh, that was, that was fun, um, as far as consuming, you know, it's, it's, I try to do it when I can, you know, throw, throw some money in the tip jar and, and support some friends or, uh, just even, checking out people's live streams like a lot of friends will do maybe a weekly thing uh, streaming on YouTube or one of the other uh, ways that people stream and yeah so it's not the same I definitely uh, don't really consume a ton of those shows but uh, I try to just tune in when I can and you know even if i can only catch a little bit it's nice to just show up and and support and enjoy some music
2: is is the relationship of um like online music to live music comparable would you say to the relationship between online and live poker like that some of the things that you're not getting from being in a live show might be comparable to some of the things that you're not getting from playing live poker
0: hmm
1: yeah, that's an interesting question and I think that like I think of online poker as inherently having all of these benefits compared to live poker and I think of online shows having all of these like um, detriments <laughs> and so I would just like without giving it a ton of thought I would say they're almost opposite, just because, like, live poker, yeah, you miss out on some of the social aspects of, and the, the sort of human interaction and those things. Um But, like, let's think of all the great things <laughs> that you don't have. You don't have people berating the dealer. You don't have, like, I don't know, just, like, really, really slow decisions every hand. Uh Like, uh you can... I don't know, you can enjoy the speed of it, and the comforts of home, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I feel like those last couple things, enjoying being at home, is probably, like, the the biggest common ground as far as positives go, but it's, yeah, it's an interesting thought, like, how, how the live versus online thing um, plays out with both
3: of those.
2: I mean when it comes to musical performances and which is the only i mean I haven't even tried to watch like comedy online, which is also something that I've enjoyed doing live, but I feel like that would my um, I've, I've talked to Clayton Fletcher about this a little bit also and he doesn't seem really inclined to do it. like it seems like um, comedians might rely even more than musicians on feedback from the audience to like I think it's even more difficult for a uh, comedian to kind of put on their best performance without feedback from the audience. Uh, maybe I'm not giving musicians enough credit there. But, um, no, I think you're right, and I, I have a lot of friends
1: um, who are in that world of comedy, and and I've definitely heard it said that like missing that that feedback is pretty weird.
2: But uh, you know, I, I have felt like the times that I've watched, uh, so like there are some people that I've seen uh, musicians I've seen perform both live and online, and I mean, of course, there's a lot of intimacy that you're not getting from from seeing them live, but uh, you know, seeing them like in their homes where just like at some point their like child runs out <laughs> while they're playing or, uh, you just like can see what they're just like, see what their home looks like. I mean, there, there's certainly an intimacy there that you're not getting in a live show.
1: Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's definitely true. Uh, the, the one that I was just referring to that I did was, it was actually not a live stream and everything was kind of like made up to look spooky and halloweenish mm-hmm. so it wasn't that kind of um vibe you know i we we were because it was pre-recorded it didn't really you didn't miss that connection with the audience because i don't know it was almost more like being in the studio you're just trying to like get a good performance off and like yeah there's video that's not always there in the studio but like i don't know it's sort of a, a weird hybrid between like the experience of playing live and doing a studio thing um but yeah it's it's true you do like i when i when i tune into my buddy's like piano uh live streams i'm like in his house and i'm looking at his piano and i'm looking at his walls and it's like that is not the normal way it goes
2: i also have um the Boston Debate League is doing like their full season they they had they canceled the city championships last year because those would have come from the the last season those would have happened in like March and they didn't have time to set things up online so those ended up getting canceled but for the current school year they're doing the entire uh, season online so they have you know they're having these debates online and the kids are I guess mostly at their homes um, competing against one another but I mean for me it means it's actually more convenient for me to volunteer for them than you know it's difficult for me to go up to Boston anymore to to volunteer to go to Boston debate league events but with them doing them online you know I I judged just the first time there had been online debates for various reasons in the past people are in different countries and they want to have a demonstration debate or something like that but um you know to just like judge every day debaters uh, it was not something that i had done before and it was a little weird but it was also I mean, for similar reasons it was like you are just like seeing these kids in their in their homes in their bedrooms or wherever they're they're doing this from and we had a speech that got interrupted because somebody's dog like ran in during your speech and there was one um, i had assumed it was her sibling but now that i think about it this could just be how how she was talking to her parents or her parent whatever but um, like in the middle of her speech she just um, turned towards her bedroom door which I couldn't see and just shouted like get out and like, went back to her speech <laughs> so it's like it's a very different like, I wouldn't say that I prefer it to judging a live debate but um, you know, similarly with, with the, with the uh, online musical performances it's, it's a very different experience and there's some form of intimacy there that uh, that is not happening in a live venue Yeah,
1: yeah I think it's just like it is different and and uh but that's that's funny did they do those even in the summer or is that like a school year it's thing? The school this, year
2: it's gonna run okay. like october through march they're actually they did have a summer camp um which i think they did online i did not uh which usually they would have done live of course um i did not have any role in that so i don't know what that looked like but i think they were doing something over the summer oh that's cool yeah Yeah, so if you enjoy these strategy segments, uh, or if you just want to support the podcast, which we would certainly appreciate, uh, you can head over to patreon.com thinkingpokerdaily uh and there'll be a link in the show notes, of course, as well. And uh, you can get a strategy segment from us every weekday. Uh, so that will be some combination of Nate Mavis, myself, and or Carlos Welch, I'm uh, giving you a strategy segment, much like what you would hear on this show. So if you enjoy these strategy segments and you want to hear them daily, patreon.com slash thinking poker daily. Uh, today's question comes to us from Sean Lango. Sean Lango, what do you have for us?
1: All right, so uh, one of the home games that I've been playing in, uh, it's on the more passive side pre-flop, and I've only played in this this particular game a few times, so it's a small sample size. There are no HUDs available uh, on the you know, the browser-based uh, client we're using, and um, so I don't really have any hard numbers to work from. But I do find myself just taking it down pre if I like iso raise over a limper taking it down pre if I raise first in and uh, taking it down pre if I 3-bet somebody. And when that's happening and you're not used to just like winning the pot without seeing flops, it just kind of sticks out. So I'm just going to characterize the game as being a bit more passive generally uh, in that way, like in that pre-flop way. Um, So the question that I have is... um, When I'm facing three bets in this game, uh, it seems to come up, like typically when it happens, it seems like I'm facing three bets that are sized a little bit smaller. For example, if I open 3x, um, I might see a three bet from one of the blinds uh, to like 2.5x the size of my open. So I'll be in position facing a smallish three bet. From what is a tighter range, uh, like it's not like people are just like three betting you know the GTO soft chart or something like that. Um, and my question is, what would you do with your sort of like uh, your default defense range versus that kind of a three bet, given those, um, parameters that I have outlined.
2: When you say your usual continuing range, you mean like the hands that you would typically continue to a three bet from that position if it were larger?
1: Yeah. And if it, yeah. So like, um, assuming that it was someone who, uh, was like, you know, three betting, like the textbook, you know, uh, modern poker theory, like frequency and size, but this is clearly, a smaller size and a, a narrower uh, range. That's probably probably more top heavy, so to speak. And uh, you know that I, you know I don't have a lot of information on exactly what is in this three bet range, but that's kind of my
2: guess. Yeah, that would be my guess as well. Uh, I think we can actually use the the play optimal poker two range construction process here so we can we can
1: I love to do that
2: determine our needed ranges uh, so we know that we are going to be in position and we're getting pretty good odds so we don't want to fold terribly often uh, so we know that we're going to have we're going to be doing uh quite a lot of not folding uh, which usually means quite a lot of calling because there's going to be a lot of hands that you know because it's a, a pot odd sort of thing we're not necessarily looking to put even more money in the pot but we are also looking to like it's sort of like playing from the big blind you know you're uh kind of not looking to surrender your hand but not really looking to make the pot Any larger than you have to either. Um, So, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of calling. And then we also don't want to be doing too much forebetting if we believe that the range is strong. So that's all the more reason to be doing a lot of calling. We even given that we're in position, and if we're only playing 100 big blinds, we also don't necessarily want to shrink the SPR uh, more than it already is, because that's going to reduce the value of our position. So I think there's like a lot of arguments in favor of calling. That's not to say that I would have no forebetting range here. But I think mostly we want to do just like a lot of calling. Um, some amount of folding, some amount of 4 betting, but when in doubt, call. Good.
3: Can I say just sort of two quick psychological things? Um, One is I have long experience being 3 bet by ranges that are too tight to sizes that are too small, and it can be very, very frustrating to call and then fold the flop a lot when you miss or hit a little bit. But not enough to continue. And then they bet like you know twice the pot uh, with with, the, with their with their overpair, and you can't bluff them off of it or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, so just have a good plan and have faith in the plan, and and roll your eyes. Don't roll your eyes, but you know, just it can be frustrating. And take a deep breath, and you know, be be kind to yourself. And thing number two is like if the stacks are short, and I know you, like this is just like pot odds one one, but um, sometimes you really should fold. So, you know, don't be afraid to fold if the stacks are so short that the strong range part overwhelms the small sizing part. But what Andrew said is more important and more fundamental and smarter. So just listen to him.
1: Yeah, well, in this case, I would say most of the time the stacks are not short, but that is actually relevant just because the way that this uh, home game client works, it's not easy to just always top up. So there are times where you may have like lost a pot and you're playing thirty big blinds because you haven't, you know, you couldn't just auto top up or something like that. So I'm glad you mentioned that.
2: And yeah, I mean, I think what Nate said bears underlining, which is that because you are making pot odds calls pre-flop, you should expect that you are going to be at a significant range disadvantage when you go to the flop. Like You already believe your opponent's range was pretty strong. Your own range is fairly weak, both because you're passing up the opportunity to four-bet and because you're getting a really nice price to call with a bunch of weak hands. And that means you you should expect that you're going to be doing a lot of uh, folding and not a lot of raising on the flop for a lot of the same reasons that you were not doing a lot of raising pre-flop.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And would it um, just from a like sort of I don't know uh, number of combinations or like your total distribution of hands that you get to the flop with is gonna you're gonna have a bunch of hands. So the reason that you're not continuing even if you get a little bit of it is because of their big advantage and the fact that you have so many hands to choose from, to continue with that you're going to be choosing the best ones of those to continue with.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to be, um, you, you can afford to be selective, uh, and you don't really have the incentive to continue with, um, with really like this, this is the situation where it's going to be correct to give your opponent profitable bluffs. Or you're not going to be looking and saying, um, "Oh, I will, minimum defense frequency says I should be calling here at such and such." Yeah, you know, because he's starting with a much stronger range than you are. Uh, it's it's going to be correct for you to fold at a frequency that would make uh, betting any two cards profitable. That's like baked into your into your preflop call. Yeah
1: okay got that makes yeah that kind of so this is yeah that's good i i think i've been basically approaching it this way but with like some doubts about like is this the right way to be approaching this
2: but that's uh that's why i asked you guys this question and uh, i think if, if you're on an app it is okay to roll your eyes
1: yeah yeah i think i I'll, I'll make sure to roll my
3: eyes extra yeah I, no 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 be 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 the master of yourself what was happening no it's <laughs> no i like, understand true. It. it's a you're you're you know you just you're just riding the waves just riding the waves yeah well that's yeah did, uh, did you have other theory so, questions sean or was that the i
1: did i did have one other one uh it, it's a little less um i don't know it's there's a, a little bit of a lack of clarity to the way I'm asking it, possibly, but I could just let it rip and we could do what we could do with it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Okay. So uh, my other theory question that I have half-baked for you guys is, um, let's say, uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching any of the Daniel Negreanu and Doug Polk heads-up match. I have not actually.
3: I, I I haven't, but you know, I, I hear it's a thing.
1: It's-, it's a thing. I don't know. It's uh, you know, two people playing poker for a bunch of money. And uh, what I've been enjoying is uh, some of some of the commentary that is uh, coming from a young man named Landon Tice, who's this. Uh, he he was doing some uh, hand analysis on Joey Ingram's channel, and just seems like he's spent a lot of time with the solvers and had a lot of smart things to say. So I, you know, as I'm watching these hands and and having consumed other, uh, you know, training videos where people are consulting solvers and, and suggesting bet sizes and things based on that, um, I've noticed a discrepancy that comes up sometimes um, where it's like there are times where uh, you could say you are the player with a significant range advantage on a given flop texture and um it's i guess what i'm what i'm wondering is it seems like sometimes the answer in that situation for what bet size should i use is you should uh use a large bet size even like say on the flop um and in some cases, it's like, oh, you should use a small bet size. And from what I can piece together based on, you know, what I've learned so far, it would seem that the biggest driving uh, variable in determining if you're going to go big or small would be SPR and that if, it, if it's, a you know, a larger SPR you're more likely to see the larger bet sizes because then it would give the players an opportunity to get stacks in by the river if they wanted to. And if it's, say, like a four-bet pot and the SPR is shallow, then you might see, like, you know, the 20% pot bet or even a little smaller happening. Um, And the question I have is, outside of SPR... um, Are there things, uh, that sort of, like, okay, so if I were to say that that rule of thumb was true, I'm assuming that I'm right about that, you know, SPR factor. Um, my question is, the range composition of both players and the board texture, I'm assuming also are a big part of this, like, for example, um, it's Heads Up No Limit, uh, it's a three bet pot and the flop comes ace king deuce so clearly you know out of position is going to have a lot of the ace king and the aces and the kings that the in position won't have because of the lack of the four bet um
2: i'm wondering if this uh can I can I maybe just jump in here and say some things because I think I yeah, I mean, even, yeah even if you, can. you can't put a point on it I think we kind of know what you're what you're driving at okay great um, so I mean there, there's kind of two different things that are happening with bets on early streets or at least two uh, one of which is with with hands that you anticipate either being currently nutty or likely having the potential to be nutty on later streets trying to um, grow the pot to the point where you can get stacks in and then get stacks in. So that's the sort of betting with the polarized range component of what you're doing or the the pot growth component of what you're doing. Uh, And then there's also, and I really would prefer if we could start using the term EV denial. (laughs) Like Equity denial seems to be like what people have have, the term that the poker community has adopted for this. I think EV denial is is actually a little bit more accurate to what we're doing. Um, But you see the EV denial is the other thing they're doing by betting and um in those cases i think the it's not a such a clear relationship between like deeper stacks necessarily mean that that larger um there are some situations where it's just not that feasible to deny uh, plus ev opportunities to your opponent which because they're in position then that's why i emphasize it's not just about equity you know you're also to some degree denying them the opportunity to play in position against you on later streets if you bet and cause them to fold the flop i think a board like you know ace king deuce rainbow being a very static board um not only is there that nuts advantage for the uh, out of position three better, but they're also not terribly concerned about EV denial. You know, there's um, even small bets are going to make it difficult for the in position player to continue because they have a you know, in position is going to have a bunch of hands like. 10-9 with a backdoor flush draw or something which you know the, against some part of out of position range, that hand has a decent amount of equity and if you know, the equity is not zero even against a set of aces or kings it has some backdoor stuff um, but it's also not really a hand that can call much of a bet on on that board and well, on a different kind of board like uh 10-9-6 um there are a lot more opportunity like there are going to be many more hands in in position range that are like sensitive to the bet size and you know at some stack depth it starts to become a problem that you don't have a nuts advantage anymore but with a pretty low SPR we might see some like overbet jamming on a board like 10, or maybe 10, 9, 7 is even a better example. We might see some overbet jamming from out of position even if that ends up being like 3x pot there might be some hands mm-hmm. that are just like they're strong enough to get it in on the flop but they're going to have a difficult time playing out of position on a lot of turns and then there's also some big draws. So like you might see stuff like over pairs and big draws. Like there there might be some some jamming range here and we probably wouldn't see any kind of like 3x pot jamming range on ace king deuce rainbow. Mhm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Which like I you might see that on jack 10 3. Yeah.
3: Got it. but that, that, I have nothing to add to what Andrew said.
1: No, that sounds good. I uh, I think that helps clarify. I think the bit about EV denial and how that kind of factors into the things might be the biggest sort of missing puzzle piece that I had. So I think if I start to try and, like, when I'm thinking about these situations, kind of run a little bit of thought through, like, oh, like, what, you know... What would be a question that I might want to ask myself to kind of get myself thinking in the right way about that EV denial? Like, uh, if if you were sort of uh, suggesting to a a student who might
2: need to think about this in-game, like, what might one want to ask oneself? I think it's similar to how we're thinking about value betting or bluffing, um, which is having a target, and then thinking about what kind of bet size might give that target a difficult decision. Uh, and the the thing that makes this a little bit different from either value betting or bluffing is that when we have a value target, we're thinking about, uh, we believe we're ahead and what hands, how much will such and such worse hand call? And when we're bluffing, we're thinking about we're probably behind and what it'll take to make that hand fold. In the case of equity denial, we're. I mean, I guess for one thing, we're we're talking about now about a range, so it's not even necessarily that we're expecting to be ahead or behind. But you know, part of what we're doing is even when we're betting hands that we do believe are ahead, it's still like, what's it going to take to get this player off of? For instance, you know, like if we have uh, pocket aces in in position, has like king nine with a backdoor flush draw and jack 10 deuce um we don't really have that much interest in letting them see more cards because there's not a lot of turns where they're going to make mistakes against us and there Mm -hmm. are a lot of there's a lot of ways that we could end up making mistakes against them later you know against that that sort of hand so you're kind of having a sense first of like what are the hands that it might be realistic so like you know on, a lot of people will tend to think right, draws on on jack 10 deuce so king queen is the hand i'm worried about i mean king queen's probably just not going anywhere so you know there's a question first of like what even can you give a difficult decision to there might be some hands that you know there's just there's nothing you can do like they're just you know, and much like if someone flopped the nuts, there's just, there's not a way to like get them off that hand. Uh, so at first, it's a matter of identifying like what even are the hands that I might be able to present with a difficult decision, and then what tools do I have available to to do that? Um you know, overbetting is only going to be a tool that's even available to you if you have a nuts advantage so in, in a situation and that's why i said like spr is so important on like the 10 9 7, 2, 10. at a low spr being the out of position three batter, you will have a nuts advantage because over pairs are nutty if you have spr is like two or three uh, if the spr mm-hmm. is seven you might not have a nuts advantage as out of position in which case you might not be doing over betting on that board because the, the risk of getting it all in with aces your opponent will just have a hand better than aces, maybe often enough that that you can't just like jam, uh, you know, or, or essentially like bet to get stacks in with with some like big overbet on on the flop. So it, it is a question of does the composition of the ranges give you the tools that you would like to have? So like once you determine okay, it would require an overbet, you know, is that even a feasible thing to do with your range? Okay, yes, yeah, that's, um, yeah, because one of the examples
1: that I saw just in watching that Heads Up match was, uh, it, it was literally like Joey Ingram saying, uh, as commentary, just kind of filling up airspace, he was like, I was working with like a Heads Up trainer, and uh, the, the board was Jack 10 Deuce, and the uh, the computer just went all in on the flop, the computer 3-bet pre-flop, and then just went all in for like, you know, some huge, like 90 big blinds or something, <laughs> And uh he was like, and I guess that's the thing. And then as he's describing this, uh Doug Polk had three bet pre-flop, flop came jack ten three, and he potted it, and most of his continuing on the flop was, you know, quarter pot, third pot, those kinds of sizes. And uh and it's just kinda like, you know, that was one of the situations that kind of caught my attention of like, okay, so like there are these times where you're just gonna ramp up the sizing and you know, sometimes I feel like I'll I'll see conflicting things where it'll seem like, oh, the solver really wants to start with a huge size on this board because it's got ace-queen on the flop and that really favors, you know, the uh, aggressive pre-flop player. Um, and then in the other case, it might be like, well, it's an ace-king flop, so, you know, he has all the strong hands, so he's going to use a really small size. And, and sometimes I'm like, okay, wait, but... You know, so that's just trying to sort this out a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, if if you literally have the solver in front of you, then what you want to be doing is looking at, like, so when you see a solver use a surprising size, and you're like, well, what the hell? It's going all in for 90 big blinds, right? You would like to then look at the response from the imposition player and see what, um, either what hands are mixed against that size, because that's, I mean, by definition, like, a hand that's mixed is the hand that has been presented with no good options. Uh, so yes. but if you can look and see, like, what are the hands that are being made in different, between calling and folding with a spec size, that tells you what the targets are, and of course, that's yes, not actually how a solver like a solver doesn't say, "Okay, I have these targets." But for for translating what a solver is doing into these like mental models, that's how I would do it.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm really sorry. I have to run. I it was yeah. I, I deep yeah. It's fuck yeah. Sorry.
1: <laughs> a true pleasure, Nate. Yeah, I'm yeah, so yeah, glad yeah, we got a chance have a good night to you.
3: Thank, Thank you. you have a good
1: me. night. Yeah, so so that was that was uh, a very helpful bunch of things that I'll listen to again while I edit and continue
2: to think about. <laughs> Good. Uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about? Okay, could you leave us with some music recommendations? Sure. You know, I well, I, I don't mean uh, to pigeonhole you. So you can recommend bad. whatever you want. It doesn't have to be music. <laughs>
1: well no it's just funny because I'm always like anytime anyone just even asks something as simple as like oh what music have you listened to recently I'm always like drawing blanks and you guys are so consistent with thinking about recommendations that I did jot a couple down here so let me go find my little text file so we got some I've got some music uh, recs that I jotted down and um I also jotted down a few just uh, some some interesting artists and or uh, I don't know what to call them. You, well, I'll just lump them all in as artists and uh, a couple TV shows I enjoyed. So starting with the music. Um, these are some things came out this year and some things I just kind of happened upon this year in my life. So we have a new album from The Beths. Uh, They're band from New Zealand. And they have a new album called Jump Rope Gazers that I enjoyed. Um, Waxahachie, uh, out of well, originally out of Alabama, that's um, Katie Crushfield's project, and she has a new album that came out this year called Saint Cloud. That actually just keeps getting more and more uh, awards for you know being on best album lists and things like that. So I was going to say
2: have. that one actually has uh, hit my hit my radar.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's um it's it's very good. It was actually on one of the um K- Katie's twin sister Allison has been playing bass uh with Mike Kroll. She Allison and Mike are married, so this is all just a family affair. So when we were on tour with Mike, we ended up stopping by the studio while that album was being recorded and uh catching a little behind the scenes and hearing the final product was just like damn, this is great album so congrats to her um, I have discovered uh, the pop music of 1980s Japan this year uh, which is kind of like the pop music of 1980s America but a little bit more sounds like old video game music from like a harmonic perspective so I don't know if you like video game music and if you enjoy some uh, nostalgic sounds just go on YouTube and type in city pop I can, I'll can i give you a link for the show notes to my favorite city pop mix uh, what else do we have music Rex. Uh, if you like jazz I discovered an album this year that's like I thought we 19- already established
2: no one likes jazz no one likes
1: jazz, and I will stand by that, but just in case, like, you know, <laughs> you guys have a lot of listeners, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, small percentages actually matter. Is it, I know people don't all believe this during the COVID era, but, like, you know, a small percentage can actually be a big number. Um, so, Textbook Tenor is this 1960s Blue Note album uh, by Booker Urban as the leader, and it was something I did not know existed, and... I don't know, if you're a person that likes that era of jazz, anytime you kind of find a new album from that era that you didn't know before, it's sort of like finding an old friend. So, that's a recommendation. And my final music rec that I jotted down is a guitarist. Uh, As I mentioned, I'm a guitarist, so I'll throw one guitarist on there. And he is a man by the name of A.J. Gent. G-H-E-N-T. Just a... Kind of, I think I just stumbled on him on Instagram, and he he plays slide in a very uh, vocal manner, and sounds so good that I just really enjoy his playing.
2: Sweet. Well, thank you for sharing your uh, professional expertise with us. Both, That's I mean, lovely. both right now with music recommendations, but every week behind the scenes on the show. Not even behind the Lange. scenes. I mean, I, we didn't say this explicitly. Uh, Sean Lango is in the band palmyra who plays the intro and outro music that you hear on this on the show we made a big deal out of that on the past when you were on the show and we didn't even mention it this time but that's going to be news to some people
1: no it's true i take it for granted it's like uh, that band happened so long ago at this point that it's it's easy for me to just be like oh yeah that thing that, that but it's true the music that uh you hear at the beginning and the end and in between uh was a I don't know, let's say 2008-ish Brooklyn band called Palmyra, uh, and I played bass and synth in that band, and it was a great time
2: and and that music continues to be our most popular guest like I, of course it gets more airtime than any given guest does but i mean we consider like i mean i would say i field at least once a month i field a question about palmeyer or someone's and that this is after we put up a um an faq where you know i assume some number of people are like just googling what is that music on the thinking booker podcast and finding the faq so then you know but some percentage of people are, you know, at least once a month, I'm getting a question on Twitter or email or whatever. And, uh, and people love the music and, and so do Nate and I. So thank you.
1: No, thank you. It's, it's so easy when you, you know, are immersed in the music world to like, recognize everyone else's contributions and be like wow people have done done these different things over the years and then you forget about the things that you've done yourself so it's nice to know that people are hearing this music that's from a long time ago and uh, getting curious about it and checking it out and if uh if they're looking to hear more from the makers of that uh palmyra um the singer gina pensiero a lifelong friend of mine and i uh, recorded an album together, which was our first is just the two of us, and that album uh, was called No Pattern. Uh, the band is called Soft Center, and that's available, you know, uh, Bandcamp, Spotify, any of your any of your listening pleasure. And one of these days, when she and I are a little less uh, wrecked by the year 2020, we will be continuing to make new music. It just it's we've kind of taken a little bit of. A pause in that area of our life for the moment.
2: Yeah, that's actually a nice segue into the, the last thing I was I was going to say, which is that, I mean, this is not at all by any means an original observation of mine, but um, I think a lot of people, and I among them, have kind of a new appreciation for art that we had kind of taken for granted in our lives, like the extent to mm. which w- with this being such a tough year in, in so many ways for a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people have talked about you know, Netflix or that kind of thing, but you know, Nate mentioned music and and I found myself listening to music more specifically for like mood control purposes. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm, And -hmm. I, you know, I've, I've heard some people say that about this podcast as well, which is incredibly gratifying, but just like, you know, I, I don't mean to um, I mean, there are many people who are doing more important things (laughs) than like putting out a poker podcast or, or making music or whatever. But you know, to, you are doing things for people that make their life better and uh thank you for that
1: yeah and thank you for that i uh i'm very excited about the new thinking poker daily i'm excited that you guys are you know entering that new chapter um and uh i'm excited about the original thinking poker podcast also just uh continuing to march on and even through the toughest of
2: times. Yeah, you know, I, I had this thought at the beginning of um, the the pandemic stuff. I was like, oh, this is going to be a great time to like put together shows, and, and all these people like poker players are going to be more available than usual. And um, it's I haven't had, really had the energy. I mean, we've been doing it, but like, it's not like we've been um, going gangbusters on it or like putting out shows more consistently than than we were before. It's just been uh, an exhausting year.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly how I'd put it for myself. Like, before March hit, <laughs> this may not shock anybody, knowing that I am, one, a musician, and two, uh, you know, a an avid poker player that my life has lacked in formal structure (laughs) and schedule consistency. But like, I will say that like for the first time in my adult life, I was like doing this daily consistent schedule where I was getting up at the same time, doing my morning routine, going to commerce, avoiding traffic at the right times. Like I had this, like I was loving it and I was I had never been able to sustain that. And it was like, you know, I was a month and a half into that when it all came crashing down. (laughs) And uh, the hardest thing about this, you know, very difficult year has just been trying to find that energy to do things, you know, whether it's something creative or, I don't know, even just the basic things that you have to do in life. So I, I try to go it's easy for me to be hard on myself that's something that I've always had an easy time doing so this year I've been trying to learn how to be as Nate said be kinder to myself and uh just do the best I can with uh the cards that I'm been given
2: <laughs> well thanks for what you've been doing for us and happy holidays to you
1: Thank you, and you're welcome, and uh, and happy holidays to you as well. And happy holidays, Nate. Uh, we we miss you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Have a good night. So I just remembered something I meant to announce on the air that I would forgotten about. Oh,
1: well, great. I will uh, contact the editor on your behalf.
2: All right, Listen to this. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Did you hear there was no popping?
0: I, I got a <laughs> pop filter. Oh, <laughs>
2: You got a popper stopper. I was literally at, I was just installing it like in, in the seconds before we started recording. I was like, "How do you screw this damn thing on here?"
1: <laughs> well, you know, I will just go ahead and say that uh, I did not just study jazz studies. I also studied sound engineering arts and possess a degree in that fine field. And uh, the popper stopper is uh, important for getting those pesky
2: plosives <laughs> from hitting the diaphragm of your microphone. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that I didn't have one before now. Um I think part of, I mean, they are kind of bulky and traveling a lot, but um, yeah, it was not very expensive.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think I remember when I was a kid reading in like some guitar magazine that if you take like a wood hoop from like a craft store and like an old pair of like pantyhose, you can just do do one diy style that way so if you ever you know are in a different part of the world and you're like i gotta record a podcast i don't have my popper stopper Maybe i'll just take out my wood
2: hoop and my pantyhose i'll be good to go
1: exactly
2: exactly (laughs) (laughs) excellent all right well have a good evening and thanks for taking the time to do this it was fun talking to you yeah yeah
1: likewise thanks so much for having me
0: of a car the light of the fair passage of a bill and who will sign us into law. I know you won't
2: So yeah, that would that would be most welcome. I I will tell people. My
3: my answer is yes. I also want to do strategy.
2: Oh great, thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good.